if you if you don't succeed, at least do so knowing you did it your way. Nothing worse than failing being someone you're not. And so bring your full self. Uh, your, your students will love you that much more when they can see who you are in your fullness. Nothing worse than not having a connection to a student when you actually have something in common with that student and the two of you never have that conversation, whether it be a love for Jordan or a love for certain music or a love for a comic book. And when you put up these barriers, you miss the connection. If you bring your full self um, to the profession and to the classroom, you will get way more out of it than you give. It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. Stay empowered. All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso A. Josie, and I'm alongside um, Jamie's in the building. How you doing? We lost a member. Mr. Petty could not join us tonight because he's somewhere being petty, probably. Um, who knows what he's doing? That's his business. But we'll catch up with him later. Um, on a previous podcast, we had um, my man Kyle Santillian out in Chicago. My man uh, Randy Washington in New Jersey, construction owner. And we have Dave Anderson, the business bully, was on as well. And we were talking about um, specifically black males and how they can get out of their way in terms of entrepreneurships um, and all that thing. So there's some real gems that they dropped in there. It's very informative for those African-American males that are interested in getting in business or becoming, a, you know, going to business for yourself. Um, Jamie, your general impressions about that podcast. They brought um, some really good information to the table. Lots of advice for um, young males that want to start their own business. Um, don't be afraid to go out on a whim and try something. You never know what, would ha- what can happen. Right, right, right. So that was a good and powerful and impactful podcast on that one. Um, if you followed us in season one, we had Frank Spicer, who was uh, at the time, he was the, the leader of Social Flow, big into artificial intelligence um, and technology out there. And he talked about steel sharpening steel. So that was another one if you are uh, a budding uh, entrepreneur that you might want to check out um, as well. So season one, steel sharpening steel. And then we had the last one. Um, so in traditional fashion, I haven't taken a personal uh, story, Jamie, and I want you to know, I want you to answer the question if I should be taking this personal. Now, we're both educators, and we're dealing with COVID right now. So I deal with a lot of parents, and what I, you know, we talk, and, and they give me their issues and their complaints about whether the kids should be remote, should they be hybrid, should they be fully integrated in the schools. And the conversation the other day um, I was having with a couple of parents um, about, you know, how they pay taxes, they, the kids should be fully in school, um, the kids don't get COVID and then not affected as big as, you know, adults and things of that nature. And I had to sit back and I'm thinking like, all right, let's go with that thinking, that logic. But as an educational leader, I have over 70 employees that are adults who do get affected by COVID, right? So I have to figure out a way to keep them safe as well as the students that come through our my building. Like, should I be taking this personal that there's parents and people out here that don't see that side of, of what we're dealing with right now? Or should I just be like, I mean, I get it. The kids need to be in school. We all agree with that. But at the same time, I have to make sure that they're safe. Should I be taking this conversation personal um that they kind of are not seeing the other side of it i think in this situation absolutely not this is not something that should be taken personally everybody has to do what's best for them their families their employees and their their own children and students so it has nothing to do with you unfortunately or fortunately, some people do feel like, you know, they if they pay taxes, they're entitled to certain things, regardless of who is going to be affected by it. I don't think that, I think that when someone has their mind set on something, it's really hard to see the situation from someone else's perspective, even if they don't make necessarily good sense in what they're saying. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Now, I don't necessarily personally believe this myself, so I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. I get that you pay taxes in a town. But you also have a choice too, 
right? So if you don't like what's happening in that town and in taxes and stuff, you have the choice to move to another town or to send your kid to a private school or something along those lines. If you don't like what's going on in, in, in that, that school. Um, the other side of two is that I'm not a doctor, for example. I can't go into a hospital and tell them how they should be running and, and, and treating patients, correct? So I, I'm in this space of, I get it as a parent, I understand that you want your kids back and all those things. But as an educational leader, there's certain things that it's just not connecting for me um, in regards to this, this situation. Um, your personal feelings as an educator, you obviously want the kids back. So where do you stand in this debate right now? So um, I enjoy being in school with my students, but um, a few things. First of all, from an educator's perspective, you don't know what it's like um, in the classroom trying to teach one concept to basically two different groups of students at the same time. So really, I think that we need to st step back and take a look at the integrity of what we're doing and if we're reaching everybody by doing it the way that we're doing. But also, um, not as an educator, but as a parent, I worry about my own children enough so that even though I go to school every day, I've opted for my own children to stay home and learn because I am scared of, of what is out there right now. So I think I, I do see it from different points of view. And again, I'm doing what I think is best for my family and my children. But if you don't come into the classroom every day, if you're not in the building with us every day, if you don't see what we're doing every day, then really you have no right to, mm. to see what we're doing. I got it. It's a sensitive topic. We won't dive too deep into it right now, but I'm not going to take this one personal. As a parent and as an educator, I get both sides of the game, um, but I have a job that I have to do. And number one is the student safety and my staff safety. So I have to, to you know, weigh that in as well. Um, so that this, you know, it's a, a tough subject right now. I will say this, though, and then we talked about this in previous podcast about COVID. There are some good things that can come out of this from an educational standpoint. Um, even as a teacher, you sharpen, you expanded your toolbox as far as technology is concerned. Um, I know that remote might be even a good option for certain students. Like my kids are fully remote. They thrive in that environment. They prefer to do that. Um, so that, that's important. Uh, so there are some good things that are coming out of the situation, depending on how we look at it. But um, today's topic, I want to dig into, we have a special guest in the building today. Um, but some that's a topic that's obviously near and dear to my heart, um, being a black male in education, um, especially in educational leadership and in the area that we are in, in South Jersey, there's not a whole lot of us. We're kind of like, you know, um, an endangered species, I would call it. So, uh, there's not a lot of black male educators in the area that we are in, uh, especially in the suburban areas and in the rural areas, um, and in New Jersey. So, a couple of years ago, actually, when I was in your building, Jamie, I went on this crusade to try to find Black educators to try to recruit them to the, uh, the land, I would call it the unforgotten land, because there are African-American children and brown children that go to these schools that need to see um, Black male educators in all shapes, forms, and fashion. So it's kind of hard to get them to, uh, one, <laughs> be comfortable teaching in those spaces. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But two, to even consider um, being in, in, in those spaces with those kids. So I went to the city, went to Philadelphia, went to my alma mater, Temple University, and I tried to uh, and recruit these, these people. But what I found, oddly enough, is when I went into these college classes, there still was not a whole lot of black males in education in those classes, even though we were in the inner city. So I started looking and, and digging, trying to recruit, trying to figure out ways to, to, to bring people and black males into the educational um, arena. Um, then I stumbled upon this person, this, this gentleman that I have here and his initiative that's out there. And, and it kind of just like uh, it reawoken. Um, and I'm glad to see that he has a mission out there to do the, the exactly what we're talking about, highlight black educators and to recruit them. So I would like to welcome Curtis Valentine to the to the podcast. How you doing, sir? Uh, I am glad to be here, man. Appreciate you in, inviting me out. I'm glad to be here with you and your, your co-host, Jamie. All right, thank you again for, for joining, uh, agreeing to be on. Um, so you're the deputy director of Reinventing American School Projects. Let's just dive into that. What exactly is that project? What is it that you do? 
Well, the, uh, the project is um, a mission to create school systems in America that we call 21st century school systems, which, which are school systems that um, give school leaders like yourself um, a lot more autonomy uh, in how to run their buildings, the budgets, uh, who they hire, length of the school day, length of the school year, sort of to give you the flexibility uh, and freedom to sort of individualize um, the experience for your students, staff, um, and and teachers. At the same time, um, we believe that there should come that should come with accountability. That if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, there should be uh, penalties based on all the autonomy you have. But that would give um, parents uh, a lot more choice. The choice that you discussed earlier around uh, just other options they have, and that could be a different school model. Uh, it could be Montessori. It could be a language immersion program. It could be um, visual performing arts, it could be governance, all the different things that, you know, we believe uh, parents and students should have. And so um, this, this is my day job, but I also sit on the school board where I live here, here in Maryland. And so I, I interact with a lot of my fellow school board colleagues from around the country. Um, and prior to COVID sort of coming out and really constricting, restricting our travel, we would travel through to cities throughout the country and bring together stakeholders from the school board, the mayor, city council, parent groups, chambers of commerce. Um, and, and many times they would say, this is the first time we've had all these folks in the same room talking about education. Hmm. And we put on a two or three day summit, bring other school leaders from around the country who are doing this. And this model is, is, is really, really popular in places like uh, Indianapolis, Denver. Um, and so we would bring folks from Indianapolis and Denver superintendent, school board members, you know, funders, and say, sit down with your colleague. If you, if you think that, you know, uh, what, what we're proposing for is, is a bridge too far, sit down with the superintendent from Indianapolis. Let her tell you, superintendent from City A, um, how this works, you know. And so uh, that allows us to sort of really grow this idea that the way schools are run right now um, and school systems uh, more, more particular are ones that are not really allowing the individuals, the folks that we hire and we go into the temples and the more houses like my alma mater to recruit, that we're not, you know, we're not giving them the true freedom to be, bring them full selves to the profession. Mm. And so that project allows us to have conversations and also to target certain groups. So in my role, I also started um, a series of articles I write for something called the NNPA, which is a National Newspapers Association which is a consortium of over 200 black newspapers around the country. And so you go back a generation ago, every city in, in, in most cases right now has a black newspaper. In the DC area where I live, it's the Washington Informer, you know, Baltimore, Camden, Philly, everyone has their own. And so I write for them because I'm someone, I'm kind of a throwback. I mean, people complain about how people of color are um, the narratives and the imagery of us in, in popular culture. And I'm like, well, that's not our culture. Mm -hmm. We don't control those, but we do have outlets. We do have podcasts like yours. And if, if people kind of turned away and used, you know, and voted with our feet and gave folks like yourself and Roland Martin and, and other, you know, when back, back when BET had, remember they had Tavis Smiley did all did the news at night. Like, I remember that, man. That was my news. Like yeah. I didn't watch, I didn't watch NBC. You know, I watched Tavis Smiley because they want to give me what happened at this HBCU. What happened with this black owned business? What happened with this? And it wasn't all about, you know, you know, gang violence and murder and all that stuff. And so again, I'm a throwback. I'm like, if we could control our own narrative, you know, we can um, really uh, recruit a whole different generation of people who truly understand their power. Mm -hmm. Let's let's lean into the, the, the black male educators narrative, right? So, um, what I'm finding, what I'm finding is that, especially in, in certain areas, like the the black males that are getting recruited and hired in certain places, they're they're getting hired more so, and at least the conversations that I've had from a discipline angle, more so than an educated angle. So you have this black male that you know, you know, you're coming in, you're supposed to get these kids in line in order, and it's not from an educational standpoint like you know your knowledge base and what you actually can bring to to that that organization um can you talk about that um in in the, in the context of, of where we are today and, and how can we change that narrative that we are more than just a disciplinary in the classroom 
Well, I think this is this is part and parcel of, of the Real Men Teach campaign, and it's it's twofold. The the mission, the the what is recruitment and retention of male educators of color, and I mean specifically Black and Latinx. The how is re-imaging, which is how do we project back onto the world what it means to be a man, and that's through a lot of the posts you all are seeing. If you go to our Instagram or Twitter page or my Facebook or uh, my LinkedIn, you're going to see it saying, you know what, here's what it looks like. Here's what men look like who stand up in their community. And it's not necessarily based on a profession. It's a bus driver. It's a, it's a coach. It's a deacon in your church. Um, and these are things we're pushing back saying, let's put out positive images of people who look like us and take back the narrative of what it means to be um, a man. And then let's use the resources that we have through um, we're generating through donations and sell, selling of this apparel to now fund scholarships for men who are saying, I would love to be an educator, Curtis, you know, but I'm a first generation college student. I got college loans and I can't afford, uh, and being a teacher is a sacrifice. And I said, well, it is robbery that um, the obstacle to, you know, a, a positive male educator in the classroom is the ability to pay for um, for, you know, for college. Now you talk about sort of, but this kind of goes back even for, so there's, there's different ways of looking at this. So one, it is, do young men of color, my son who's 12 years old, does he want to be a teacher? And you ask it, this is, he's not thinking about college loans. He, he has no idea how much it costs to be a teacher. The question is this, do you want to be a teacher? And what he's going to do, like, like, like all three of us are doing is, let me think about any examples of, of men of color who taught me in the past. What did they look like? How do they carry themselves? Do I want to emulate them? The way they spoke to me, was it empowering? Was it uplifting? Was it, are, are, my, are my experiences of that person ones that I, that I want to sort of follow in their footsteps? And for the most part, it's a no. And that could be just, Curtis, first of all, he had no swag. <laughs> His, you know, he, 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 didn't, he didn't look very, he, he wasn't very attractive. People didn't like him. He was a pocket protector, short sleeve shirt with a button up. All he did was tell me to pull my pants up and go to class. Mm. I don't want to be that guy. Mm. I want to be able to be me because I love history. I love to write. I love music. I love science. Can I do that and, and, and not have to be that guy? Absolutely. Mm. All right, Curtis. So what did it take to do that? All right, you have to, go to, you have to graduate high school. You got to go to college. You got to get a degree, do the training. And then put the work in. Now, let's take it all. Let's take it back to high school now. So, just a number I just want to throw out really quickly. Every year, think about particularly black men. Three hundred and twenty thousand black boys start high school every year in America, right? Only a hundred and sixty thousand of them finish high school in four years. So now we, so now we're cutting it in half, mm -hmm. right? From those hundred and sixty thousand, only fifty thousand of them attend a four-year college all right so 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 now you, you see the you see the funnel <laughs> okay now of those fifty thousand who go to four years college only about eight thousand of them have temple morehouse kind of pedigree and grades to, so now you think so we got eight thousand and now those eight thousand who is who are for the most part now don't tell me wrong of the fifty thousand there's more than eight thousand who are potential educators but for the most part, when the Temples and the U-Pens and the Rutgers Camdens and the Morehouses and the Hamptons and the Lincolns come, they're looking at those 8,000. And so now everyone's pulling from the same 8,000. Mm -hmm. IBM, you know, Google, uh, you know, the medical school, the law schools, the communication programs. And they're like, man, hold on, I got, I got choices now. So first of all, teachers, I don't pay us nothing. I will get no respect when I become a teacher. When I become a teacher, I gotta, I gotta straight tuck in all my swag. I can't wear my jewelry to school. I can't be myself. I gotta dress like these, as we say down here, these Bamas who went, who, who taught me. Mm -hmm. No. But we're saying no, 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 no. Hold on, you got that all wrong. First of all, let's talk about how much teachers get paid. Particularly, that's one of the most secure jobs in America. Mm -hmm. if, if you get into a good system and you do what you're supposed to be doing, you know, you'll be fine. Then, let's talk about respect. 
how do we how do we start bringing respect back to the profession? This is what I'm doing with the marketing. When I put out a post and, and we're at, we're doing 100 men 100 days, and we can talk about that as well. The love and support that comes from mostly women and Jamie could appreciate this. Men say, "Oh my gosh, he's a teacher. He's a classroom teacher. He's an elementary school teacher. He can he with the babies, mm. and he's and he got a beard." Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. He he is strong. He's tall, dark, and handsome, but he's he connects with young people. He has a presence. He's well spoken. He has a he 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 reads every day. He's constantly getting better. He has to he has to adapt to his community. Oh my gosh, can we have can I have five of them, please? And so there's the thing. My thing is I'm not waiting for nobody to tell me who I am. I've never done that. I've always had men in my life who told me that I, was, I could be anything I wanted to be. But the men who taught me were not all educators and almost none of them had doctorates and almost none of them had master's degrees. My bus driver told me I was amazing. That's all I needed to hear. When my coach told me you could be anything you wanted to be, that's all I needed to hear. When the guy at my church who, who I don't know what his degree was, I just know he was an usher and he would come by, he had an usher and he said, Curtis, you are amazing. At a child, we don't distinguish between whether you got a doctor, because it doesn't mean anything. Right. When we when we highlight men and we say, first of all, we're not going to shine out on the men who aren't who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. We could do that. The media does that. Let's show them the Damisos. Mm-hmm. Let's show them the let's show them these guys and let and let those guys sort of usher in or give permission to the guys over here saying, I don't fit in with y'all over here. The, the, man, all that you know, podcasts and all that, that ain't me, bro. We all, we all in the same pendulum swinging back and forth because I could be you tomorrow mm-hmm. and, vice, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once we understand that, and so to fix this, it's about everything I'm talking about, but it's also about fixing the funnel that 320, if we can get the 20, 320,000 to start ninth grade to come and, and, and walk into a four-year institution with the same level of preparation that the 8,000 currently get, mm-hmm. we'll, open, we'll, we'll open this wide open. But right now we're pulling from the eight. And for me, I'm trying to work with the eight in order to get the, the, the 312,000 that not left behind, mm-hmm. but are slowly trying to catch up. Gotcha, gotcha. There's a couple of things that we do at the Department Perspective to help that narrative. One is um, we, 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 when we go speak and we go do these things and work with schools and things, typically I'm not in a shirt like this. I just didn't have a chance to, to get changed. You have a hoodie on and we, you know, we come in like, we you know, like we grew up, like this is what we are. We're changing the narrative just because I'm dressed like this doesn't determine my, you know, my intelligence or anything and how to relate to, to, to people. So the message that we're giving some of these young people is that you can still be yourself in these spaces. You don't have to conform to what you think it's supposed to be. Like you can still be you in, in those spaces, but you have to have the, the the heart to be you in those spaces and not feel like you got to be somebody different. So we're, we're we're constantly trying to change that narrative and trying to change it from the perspective of the system of like, well, you hear some educated black males that are coming in. They have a lot to say. They can connect with kids, like you said. They they can move different staff members around and do things and run in schools like. We might have to, re- we have to rethink about how we are, are one, re- recruiting and, and hiring. We might have to rethink how we are actually approaching this thing called education. So that one of the things that we try to do is, is change that narrative on that. Um, the other thing is, like you said, uh, there's actually a whole lot of money to be made in education. So I don't know who told these kids that there's no money. And I'm making more. I didn't work in television, worked at ESPN, ABC. I had all these jobs in corporate America. I'm making way more money right now in education than I did working for these big neighbor, uh, you know, networks and things. So we have to change that, that narrative as well. The, the issue that I'm seeing in our area is a lot of these black males will go, one of those who want to do want to go into education, nine times out of 10, they want to go back to their communities to help their communities in which they, you know, they were raised in. So, but when we go into these suburban areas where I didn't have a black teacher until I got to college. So from kindergarten all the way to college, I didn't have not one black teacher, male or female, <laughs> until I got to college. So one, I didn't see nobody that looked like me to be in that, that space. But two, 
I'm in an area, I don't know if you're familiar with Franklinville, New Jersey. It was on the news where the guys, uh, they had the protest and the George Floyd guy was kneeling on the guy's neck and all that stuff. So I'm coming from this area that, that there was a lot of racial tensions. There's a lot of issues there. So it takes a really special person to want to go back to the, that, that neighborhood that you quote unquote escaped and all that hatred and all that stuff to want to come back and help those kids in, in that in that community. So part of the issue that I think we're finding in our neighborhoods and in, in, in you know in South Jersey is that the ones that want to get in it, we're getting out. The ones that are out don't want to come here. Don't want I'm, who wants to come to work and deal with that every single day? That's just another layer that you have to deal with on top of everything else that comes with being a black male, um, especially. Well, 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 I, well, I would say everything we do, like move it so right, on this day, we think about tomorrow and a day after. We take every day after today with, with yesterday and every day before it in perspective. Let me just, so when you ask someone, do you want to come back to your, to your town and be, and, and be a school teacher or help? Well, the first thing I'm gonna do is visualize every other man who I've ever seen do that before. And I'm gonna say, do I wanna do that thing the way that guy does it? And almost 100 percent is no. Mm -hmm. When I became a school board member, I remember when someone reached out to me, I've been on a school board for eight years here in, in, in Prince George's County, Maryland, where I live. And this is really where this impetus came from. Male I started something called the Male Educator Network, MEN acronym, to really recruit men. Because I was a teacher here and I was like, I remember being a teacher here, it sucked. And so when I think about, someone said, Curse, man, you should run for the school board. And I said, school board? People run for the school board are people who can't run for something else. Mm -hmm. Like they, like people, like you, you're not good enough to run for the city council or the, the legislature or the state. So you, I kind of took that as an insult, low key. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, so you don't think I'm good enough for the state senate? Like this at the time, I was, I was, I was finished grad school. I, I, my, my master's at Harvard. I ran President Obama's campaign. And I'm like, yo, I'm feeling myself. And I'm thinking, I've never met a school board member who I ever respected. Hmm. I'm, I'm thinking there's no, there's no way I'll be a school board member. I'm thinking, well, I'm basing that off every other member I've ever heard one of the school board. And then someone said, Kurt, you know, da -da -da. and so I became a school board member. And I said, hold on, I could do this the way I want to do this. I could do it any way I want to. Like there's, I could, I could create my own organization. I could create my own system of just trying to bring and, and, and highlight men. I could start my own fatherhood group start my own male educator group and I got money to do it. I got platform. I can use any high school I want. I could get a robo call and call every family in the school district. We had 125,000 kids. I can call every parent. I remember the first time I did a robo call, someone's like, well, I said, well, how often do members of the school board robo call? They said, never do. I said, do they know they can? Yeah. Hmm. I'm doing a robo call. Um, can I do this? Can I do that? Sure, we can do that. Is it one W4? No, it wasn't against the rules. It was my frame of reference was what I saw, but it, which, which is which is everyone's natural reaction. Someone sees your podcast and be like, you know what? Hey, man, you do a podcast like 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 the Miso. Well, no, I don't want to do one because I don't like the, I don't want to do it the way he did it. That's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Do it the way you want to do it, but don't use what you see as as your box. And it's hard to get out of the like when I started doing a real bit teach stuff. I said I see a lot of apparel, a lot of like you know you know, uh, branding stuff online. Um, I'm not going to do it. Why not? Because you don't want to do it like them. Curtis, do it your way. Mm -hmm. But that, but that's what we, that's, that's, those are the people we, we always emulate. Everyone you see, I was watching some earlier with Cam Newton um, and he was interviewed about him being an icon. And he's saying, you know, when I came into the NFL, I'm looking at every other black quarterback who came before me. And I'm just like, I'm different. I dress mm. different, my swag different. I'm from Southside Atlanta. I got to do it my way. And he understood the courage it took to step out of the box, they said. And, I'm, and that's the way he, the hats he wears, the clothes he wears. He's like, bro, I'm different. And that's cool, but I'm different. And so my thing is tell these young people, you could be a teacher the way you want to be a teacher. And let them say, you know, so can I take my kids outside in, 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 into, the, into the field? Go right ahead. Can um can I have music playing when the kids come in? Sure. Can I light like candles and like do some aromatherapy? Why not? Mm -hmm. Can I get rid of all the chairs and put all the kids on the floor and, and like bean bags? 
Absolutely. Like, like, <laughs> like, bro, who told you you couldn't do that? Like, my, so I teach right now at university. I teach a class. I'm an adjunct professor. And I was brought on part because the black student group at the school said I had never had a black professor at Mercer Maryland, a black male professor. So I got a phone call. It's like, for years I applied. I want to become a professor. I'm applying, I'm applying, I'm applying. That's how God works. I got a phone call like, hey, you want to be a professor? Yeah, it was the interview process. Nah, I start on Monday. Word? I've been applying for five years. Y'all going to call me and say, start on Monday? Cool. But then I said, I, I, I got to do it my way. Mm-hmm. So, when you, so when you come into class, you hear Nipsey Hustle on the, you, you walk, you come into class, you hear him meet. It's like, the students come in like, what is going on? What is this guy talking about? I'm coming in like, okay, they're like, hold up. But you went to Morehouse and Harvard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, but, but you, but you traveled to 30 countries. Yeah. But you're not like anybody ever seen before. Uh-huh. You're ready to, you're ready to rock? Okay. I'm, then I'm bringing in all my friends. Every week I got a new speaker. I'm bringing in people every week. Yeah. I'm bringing the family, bring the neighborhood in. They're like, this is so different. different. Because yeah. guess what? I never, I never used a professor. I went to one class before I taught at Maryland. I went to one class. I sat in the back. I said, oh, hell no. I'm, I'm sorry if I curse. I can't curse on that. I said, oh, heck no. I said, oh, hell no. I, I, I didn't like him because these students back here, they was like, not down. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, no. If I'm going to do, I got to do me. Uh-huh. Tell these kids, you can do you and get some, and to your point, and get the summers off. We can go over. I'm like, yo. If I could do it, you know what? We're going to give you nine months. Did every summer for three months, we went to another country, South Africa, Brazil, Japan, you know, Germany. We're going to do a summer. And, and then all that lined up is going to add up to probably 80 grand, which you put all together. And you can do public speaking at night. Then you can do your own podcast. Then you can do your own apparel on the yeah. summertime. Then you, then you could do you could do your own summer camps. You could do your, I got a brother right now. I know he's doing a book club. Started doing a book club. He started doing it for free. Then caught us in, right? I'm like, book club, virtual book club. Wife says, hey, time to get my little son in a book club. Reach out to him, book club. He sent me a link. Guess what it costs now? 59 bucks. I'm like, book club? Mm-hmm. It's worth $59. It's worth $59. Sure, we don't book it. That's another bag. Yeah. But it's a book club. How much did he do? He's, he probably read the book already. He's going to do uh, four weekends in a row, give assignments. He's going to make a couple thousand dollars. It's about also un- unleashing their ability to bring their full selves to it. Like, hey, man, why are, you, why are you trying to be slow with all the ways you can raise money, be creative? Because we've been raised to sort of fit into the, yep. you know, this is how people who go to college talk and how they function. You work nine to five, you work 40 years. Like my, I'm, I'm from Jersey, too. So, I mean, I'm from, I'm from Central Jersey. I'm, I'm from Exit 9 near Rutgers. Okay. And back when we grew up, it was get a job work 40 years, get a pension, retire, and then, and then, and then like work in a church, mm-hmm. retire. Like that's what you did. Now it's like, you, you got to have five streams of income. You got to have, you know, and a way to pay, you know, all the other ways to get, get, you know, to become your full self in the world. And we have to raise our children that way. Cause if that we do that, it's limitless. Jamie, I'm chuckling because with our, uh, one of our presentations, um, How to Reach and Teach Today's Hip Hop Generation, he basically spoke exactly what we do and we try to teach these educators. We come with a little different perspective on, you know, being a student of your student and really knowing your students. So if you have students that appreciate the hip hop culture, we teach you how to bring that element into the classroom. And we talk all the time about stepping outside of the box. Like I, I'd say that so much, I'm, I'm, I'm blue in the face to all my teachers. I don't want to see the same old, same old thing. I want you to leverage what your talent is and what your gift is and bring that into the into the classroom. You know, I can't argue with success. If you got the kids coming, they're achieving, they're do- I don't care about curriculum stuff and all that stuff. I want you to make sure that these kids are learning. So, I mean, Jamie, he hit, he hit the nail on the head. Like, when we, we go around and we talk about, about that, how important it is as, as a teacher to be able to step outside of your box team. I mean, it is so important. If you go into a classroom and you have no connections to your students, they could care less what you're saying. But if you make those connections first, my students will do anything at all I ask them to do for me and you because I have a connection with them. Mm-hmm. So because I took the time to make that connection, I can get them to do anything they need to do in anyone's classroom in order to get through this school year. Mm. 
So important. That's uh, so, so, so important. And I, I, I like to think that at least we're heading in the right direction in terms of education. At least when I first got into it, it wasn't, it was it's so rigid. Everyone was just trying to fit in the, into that box. And I was, I came in just, just because we were part of the hip hop generation. Like this, like you said, uh, Curtis, this is how I'm going to do it. You need to take it or leave it. You want me to write this curriculum? I write the curriculum. I'm going to teach it the way I teach it. And then, you know, the kids love me for that. So I just decided. But, but, but to me, so, so, so we, so we started, I started a new line. So you can see the hoodies, the, the, the hoodies we can get from realmenteach.com. What I said was, I want to do, again, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this differently than I've seen any other do apparel. I'm going to do colors that are, allow you to support the brand, make a statement about what you believe, but also represent for groups that you were already affiliated with. So I did this one for everybody I know who went to FAMU, right? So this FAMU, FAMU the colors. Then I said, all right, I'm going to do, I'm going to do colors for all the HBCUs and some of the PWI and all the fraternities. And so when you see some of the branding, you think, oh man, he wearing uh, the, the purple and gold. Mm-hmm. Oh, it got to be Omega somewhere on it. Like, no, I can't put Omega on that's not, that's, I can't do that. But if you're an Omega, you could put this on in your hat and now you're representing for two things. So that was a way to, to sort of cross brands. Second thing was, I said, you know what? Again, I'm not going to curse the dark. I'm going to light a candle. I said, there were men in popular culture and in hip hop who growing up, I said, you know what? Those were teachers. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't have a title teachers, but I looked to them for, for, as an influence. And one in particular, so right now my, my kids and I, and my wife and I are watching a different world again. My wife and I grew up in a different world, like a lot of folks. And it's on Netflix. And we watched this, we watched, go through the season. And at the end of the season, you all remember, Dwayne Wayne went from being, uh, you know, the perfect math SAT, 800 SAT, to Professor Wayne. Now, now you're professor now. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm like, well, hold up. I'm a professor now. He's a professor then. I'm thinking, well, when I, was, when I was watching this at 12, 13 years old, now I'm looking at a black man as a professor. And I remember, I remember him. He had that saddlebag, right? The little the leather yeah. joint over the front with the bag in the front. Had the glasses on and the blazer. He was different from Colonel Taylor. Mm. He was different from all the other the other professors who was uh what's my man name who played Benson um Robert Guillaume. Mm. Robert Guillaume was the professor. It was, he was like yo I'm a young professor. I'm not the old deep professor. I'm gonna do it my way. And I got a pretty wife. And I'm and I'm cool. And I'm a big Wizards fan. He could he did it his way. Right. And so we started. And so I said hold up. There are other men in popular culture who I believe were examples for us that we kind of saw it. We might have internalized it. We might overlook that we didn't. And so we did a, I did a hoodie that said, that quoted one of the things that he said in, in the, in the um, in episode where he was going back and forth with uh, Data Pickett's character. And Cornetella says, man, do you, like, do you like teaching? He's like, yeah. he says, like, do you get like a, a power trip out of being a teacher? He says, he says, man, it's a war out here. And our, our greatest weapon is education. He says, I'm training Green Berets. Mm. He, said, he, said, he said, I'm training Green Beret because this war out here on us is they trying to kill us. This is, this is 1993, bro. Mm-hmm. They trying to kill us out here, man. And I said, hold up. Wait, I got to start showing people, bro, I ain't cursing the darkness. I'm lighting candles showing here's all the positive men who we had and rappers. So we had Nas. We had, if you're down, you know, you down in at Philly, the Southern Jersey, Poor righteous teachers. Mm-hmm. It was you had a you had a Trenton makes the world take sign in the video then. Yep. Come on, Doc. I remember that. Yeah. And, and so we had those guys who were telling us about they, they were called the so-called conscious rappers, but those were the ones who were like those guys were reading books. They were telling us about gentrification. You know, so my, my, my next hoodie I'm coming out with, and this is sort of, you know, I'm, I'm gonna give y'all an exclusive. The next one is gonna highlight my man um Furious Styles from Boys in the Hood. Furious Styles was a dad, right? Furious Styles was like, yeah, they had a little Malcolm X classes on, and they came to see him after taking the SAT. He mm-hmm. says, hey, man, what are y'all doing? Hey, SAT says, you know, those SATs are culturally biased, right? He's like, they're like, oh, for real? He said, yo, take a ride with me. Take him to the hood. Like, hold on, man. See the sign? Yeah. Start talking about gentrification. Buying low pro- buying. And he's going. It was like, yo, did I just miss the whole lesson on gentrification? That was in 90... What? It was 1990. Yeah. <laughs> And Philadelphia, D.C., Atlanta, having companies about gentrification 30 years later, when my man Furious is trying to school us, and these young men was, was, was having conversations with the OG, he was teaching. That was his classroom. 
this is my board. I'm giving y'all the science. This is this is this 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 is, this is how we get bread. How they come in, lower the lower the value. Da, 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 da. Man, I'm trying to say we can because popular culture is so important. Hip hop is still important. My son, mm-hmm. my son, my daughter still know the lyrics to every song, and and I gotta sit down and and you know and sit in front of a book, which is you know what it's gonna happen. I can't, you know, make make this make the ocean go back into the, you know, to the the sea. It's gonna happen. That's God is gonna say, Kurt, I'm equip you to be able to handle this. But the idea is that we're also putting these positive influences in front of our kids that are popular culture. Some of them are like real life people. You know, think about Joe Clark and Lean on Me. That was an example. Um, the young, the young, you know, teacher in in in, in that movie. We had male educators and fathers who, who in our world. I'm trying to celebrate them because there was positive influences then. Yeah, that work you're doing is so, so important because like you just named a whole bunch of examples. Took me back uh, to, the, to those, those scenes. I remember all those scenes. I remember all those songs. But I look at today's generation and I feel like there's a gap that's missing in terms of popular culture right now. There are the J. Coles out there. There, you know, you have those those ones there. But I remember in middle school, you mentioned poor righteous teachers, public enemy. Those were the reasons why I picked up the autobiography of Malcolm X. Those were the reason why I understood W. E. Du Bois and all those things. That it wasn't the school that was teaching me these things. It was coming from the the popular culture, and then that became a lifestyle, and it became of me finding out who I am as a black male in this in this society. Like I got more education from popular culture, honestly, than I did from you know your traditional education. So we're people like you, people like us, and we're trying to recreate this narrative and trying to find these spaces for for young generations to be able to do do that. Um, so kind of like the each one teach one philosophy um, as well. I got one more serious question for you, and then we're going to do a this or that one. So we're big here on the Empowerment Perspective podcast about the why. We, we believe that if you have a strong why, um, it, it will drive the decisions that you make in life. And we, we encourage people to be honest about that why, because you can't lie about it, especially when times are, are difficult. You, 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 your, your behavior is a cause. It's, it's a symptom, not the cause. Like There's something that's driving your behavior. And what we're trying to get people to do is figure out what your why is, make it a healthy why so that your behavior changes and it's consistent. So we want to know, like, why is this work important to you? Um, You know, what is your why in regards to the work that you're doing? Well, it's interesting. Um, My why has changed um, in many ways. I'll start up. My my initial why was, like a lot of people, I looked at my, my father passed away five years ago, but my father was my first teacher, you know, my, my, my superhero. And so my why for a long time was, if I could just make my dad proud. Like he, it was, it was an audience of one. Like if I did something, I'm looking over to him. Is that, is that good? Like, are you good with that? Mm. And so up until a very, up until like a couple of years ago, I was all about making my father proud. Who was someone who was very, who was a Marine, you know, didn't, didn't go to college, but very, very proud black man from, from Rahway, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then when I became a father, you're like, oh, like this, like this whole thing about like, once like, I'm not going to live forever and my son and daughter are going to be here and their other children who look like them. And then you turn around and you're saying, well, what happened to all those OGs who supported me? And they're getting older and they're passing away. And you're like, well, Curtis, like you are the OG now. Like, mm. It's your turn. Like this, this is yours. And for a lot of us, we kind of like forgot like that the mantle was sitting on our lap. But they gave it to us because they were tired or passed away. And it took us like understand, bro, like, you know, you have, you have the, the mantle. You need to do something with it. Like, well, no, they're still going to, these guys who did, who supported me are still going to support the next generation, right? No, 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 no. It don't skip. Mm-hmm. Like, now it's your turn. And so that was the motivation. Like, okay, now it, it's kind of like my turn as, as a give back. And so that's still a part of my why. But another part of my why, which I just discovered, and it's, if, if I didn't notice my, if I didn't like learn this myself, I thought I, it, I wouldn't believe it. I have a, in my family, my name, my full name is Curtis Chavis Valentine. On my Chavis side of my family, I have a I have an ancestor going back to the 1700s 
who is the first black person in America to ever go to college. His name is John Chavis. Look it up. Mm-hmm. John Chavis from Mecklenburg County, Virginia. I own a home in Mecklenburg County, Virginia right now, a summer home. My, my dad left me when he, when he died. Came to Princeton, New Jersey in 1780s. We're talking a 16th century. To be, and so fast forward 100 years later, I have another ancestor who's a Valentine, who a, a little closer to your, your neck of the woods, mm-hmm. William, William Valentine, in 1915, became the headmaster of something called the Bordentown School in Bordentown, New Jersey. The Bordentown School was the only all-Black boarding school in America, north mm-hmm. of Mason-Dixon. He ran that school from 1915 to 1953, when Brown v. Board uh, dismantled all public uh, segregated schools. Before that, it was it was a campus. It was a again a boarding school. All the students took care of the grass, took care of the animals, you know, cleaned everything. William Valentine was the most powerful black man in the state of New Jersey from 1915-1953. And then also found out that my great grandparents are part of a, a history um, of, of black people who started their own schools in the 1920s with someone called Julius Rosenwald, who. Uh, with Booker T. Washington, started 5,000 schools from Texas all the way up to Maryland. Mm-hmm. My great grand, my great grandparents, um, Beverly and Martha Valentine, um, started those schools. So I am part of a continuum mm-hmm. of black people in education. It goes back 300 years, <laughs> like literally. And so my why, in many ways, is Curtis. You are part of a history of Chavises and Valentines who have said education is the most important thing you can do because understanding they tried they kept education from us mm-hmm. as African Americans because they knew the power of it. Listeners, always be mindful of the things they try to keep you from because that's what the power is. If it when they were t- they were saying we can't and, and it, here's in, uh, let me make this point make this point before I go. When I was listening to a historian say there was a discussion about why you would why it was important to keep education from particularly enslaved, in some cases, the free people as well. They said, well, no, if they learn how to read, then, you know, they'll write, you know, they'll try to write their own free papers and go to the plantation. Or if they learn how to read, then, you know, maybe they'll get jobs that, you know, are above, you know, their, their station in life and wouldn't have no use for them. Well, someone said, well, actually, the, the primary reason was that if they could read, they could read stories about distant lands and their imagination would shift to places Hmm. like oceans and Hmm. mountains. And if their imagination shifted, they would want to see those things and it'd be harder to control. And so education is the key to imagination. If you can, if you can control someone's imagination, you have to control their actions. This this is what Carter Wilson said in his education, right? Hmm. If you control their thinking, we don't, these places didn't have fences, doc. Mm. Fences around a plantation. They just said, you know, if you go in, we'll catch you and we'll shoot you. Versus, you know, I mean, remember, remember the movie uh, Life. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember the gun line. The gun <laughs> line, boss. The gun, <laughs> line. the gun line, right? The gun line. There was no fence, bro. Right. They said if if they read about oceans, in mountains, in towns, we can't control them. But if we just keep them ignorant of the world outside of this ten acres. Mm-hmm. They'll never leave the ten acres, and they'll never see what freedom looks like, and they'll even they'll even imagine it. What we'll tell them is outside of this outside of this plantation are wolves and dino, you know things that will hurt you, so you you're protected here. But if we can get their imagination, and so this this is why I want to end on this point. Imagination comes from education. I'm able to go and and travel to over thirty countries in Africa and around the world because I just imagined it, and I said I want to go now. To be a school teacher and envision yourself as a school teacher, you have to at least imagine yourself in that space, but doing it the way you want to do it that makes you feel like a full person. And so if we give people imagination, the rest is history. Super facts. Yes, absolutely. Jamie, I don't think I asked you this question ever. What's your why? In terms of education, in terms of what you do in, in education. My why, I mean, I have two whys. I think that my first why 
um, it's not my children. It is my children, but not in the sense of I'm teaching because of my children. I'm, I treat my students the way that I expect my children to be treated every single day. So when I go into school, I treat every single student that I come across the same way I expect my own children to be treated in school, without a doubt, every day, in good and bad. I'm empathetic. I, I feel bad when things go wrong. And I, I, you know, let the students know that I'm there for them. But also, I think that my why now, as I've been in education for a longer period of time, it's it's to, to be able to think outside the box and to do things my way and to be able to answer when someone comes to me and says, why did you do it this way? Why didn't you do it that way? Well, I can do it this way and I can prove that my way is just as good as anybody else's way and maybe even better because look at what I was able to get from these students by doing it this way. So those are my two whys. Interesting, never asked you that question. Now I know, now it, it explains a lot. Let's just put it that way. Um, so, Curtis, before we get into this or that and have a little bit of fun here, um, how can people get in contact with you? How can, how can we get people to, to support the cause that you're doing? How can they uh, find you? Well, you can go to realmenteach.com. Uh, um, that's where you can see some of our work. You can see our, our mission, our team. You could buy apparel. You can make a donation. Or you can nominate someone, what we're calling Real Men Teach 100. Um, this is a, a men around the, around the country, around the world, who you believe represent uh, what we believe, which is men stepping up our community. It's that that group is not specific to uh, the um, minority men, and so you have a, any race of man who you think you know this this guy is someone who supports the community. We want to celebrate them. Um, please do that. If you're on Instagram, you go to officialrealmenteach.com. If you're on Twitter, it's uh, Real Men Teach, the number two, and then on Facebook and LinkedIn, you know Curtis Valentine. Um, but if you're on social media or our website, uh, you'll definitely be able to find us. Gotcha. Thank you so much. So we're going to transition real quick. I got four, uh, this or that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two options. You pick one of the options and uh, you can elaborate if you don't want to. If not, it's okay. We'll start off easy, uh, relatively easy. I'm going to go, we're going to stick with hip hop in this one, the first two. Mm. Mm -hmm. So ready. We're going to go with Nas or Jay-Z. The battle. He took a deep breath. I go, I go, I go, I go. Jay Z. Mm. No, I, I, saw, I saw, I saw, I saw Jay Z again in Jersey. I saw Jay Z at a little club in Sarahville, New Jersey, in 1995, before his album dropped, um, and before Reasonable Doubt dropped. I saw him in a place called a Hunka Bunka. I think you might have heard of that before. It was a little hole in the wall club. Um, I saw him in 1995, before I went to, and I saw him again in college in Morehouse when he came for our homecoming. But I've seen him again. I saw him before his album even dropped. He was Uchi Wally Wally. That's the song. If y'all remember that. <laughs> so I'm gonna go. Listen, we're gonna go. Reasonable doubt or Elmatic. <sighs> again, I'm I'm gonna go. Reasonable doubt, man. I think Jay Z allowed me to do a lot of what not. Think a little bit, but also to kind of you know relax. I mean, again, again, I got books. Maybe see, I love to read, but I also love to you know to chill too. So I need balance. And gotcha. Nas will have you like, bro, like, okay, I get you, man. Like, you, you, you conscious, you, you know, you read books, that's cool, but you don't dance, man. Like, let's dance a little bit and then go back to that. Like, I mean, so not Jay Z gave me a little bit of both. Got the balance. All right. In terms of a teacher in hip hop, Karis One or Public Enemy? I like Karis One. Um, and it was more so like, I think Public Enemy seemed more like, um, like punitive, like, mm. but KRS, as a teacher, I would probably prefer KRS over Chuck D. KRS seemed to be a little more soft with it. He was kind of like, you know, mm. you know, you think about tough, tough destruction and his verses in there. Um, as a kid, I was always like, if you yelled at me, it was a rap. Like, you know, was I'm, 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 I'm gonna go into my little turtle hole. But if you could kind of like, you know, court, you know, do it persuasively, you got me. Right. All right, in terms of an educator, Larry Fishburne in higher learning or in Boys in the Hood? Again, Boys in the Hood, because um, I was in my class the other day, I was um, I showed my students a video, uh, a TED talk with someone who was talking about education, and they interviewed some middle school students and said, what's a good teacher? And one of his students said, a teacher is not a teacher. And he said, what does that mean? He says, well, 
what students are saying is a good teacher is not someone who's necessarily in front of a classroom, in front of a chalkboard, kind of like giving me assignments, grading me. A, good, a teacher is a, someone who can teach me without, without me knowing I'm learning. And so I think his character in, in, in Boys in the Hood was, you know, that father figure who taught his son, obviously, and also his son's friends, but it wasn't like graded. And it wasn't um, one where he had assignments. So I would definitely say um, furious, furious style. Gotcha. Last one, New Jersey or Maryland? I'm from Jersey, man. Um, I mean, I am, I am Jersey. I mean, like, um, I love Maryland. I Maryland. I mean, I've, I've, uh, Maryland has adopted me. Again, I'm a public official here. I love this place, but um, like Jersey is home. My mom, uh, dad, born and raised in Jersey. Mom from Roselle, Linden. My mom, dad from Rawway. Um, if I get on the phone with somebody from Jersey, everything starts coming out. Um, but just the way that, you know, I, I was, I grew up in Jersey. Jersey has 500 school districts. And so I grew up in a, a small town environment that allowed me to be in this, in this very nurturing environment. We had one high school in my town, one middle school. And I'm the man I am today because of, of that upbringing, education, the support, um, and the pipeline of men who were brought up through this system by other great men who I'm just trying to emulate every day with this campaign. Perfect, perfect. Well, Curtis, we definitely thank you for being on today and, and taking the time to bless us with your presence. Um, last words. There's a young black male that's sitting in some classroom somewhere in America. What do you say to him in terms and maybe want to be in education? I don't want to fence. What do you say to him? It's quite simple, man. Be you. Um, you as an individual are amazing. Um, God has given you a number of gifts that you have yet to bring to the world. Um, and don't tuck any of that in. If you, if you don't succeed, at least do so knowing you did it your way. Nothing worse than failing being someone you're not. And so bring your full self. Uh, your, your students will love you that much more when they can see who you are in your fullness. Nothing worse than not having a connection to a student when you actually have something in common with that student, but the two of you never have that conversation, whether it be a love for Jordan or a love for certain music or love for comic books. And when you put up these barriers, you miss the connection. If you bring your full self um, to the profession and to the classroom, you will get way more out of it than you give. And so, you know, the return on that investment is something you can't put a price tag on. When an educator removes himself from a classroom, those students will never forget you. We all remember that educator. Now do you ask, we all remember that teacher who changed our lives mm. and almost we are and some of them have a positive and some of a negative we're saying the positive ones you're like you know what if it wasn't for mrs so-and-so mrs so-and-so i wouldn't be here but i also say you know if it wasn't for this person you know i wouldn't be here either because they really you know robbed me of my dream you have the power uh to shape the world um and it's up to you to take take that mantle and bring your full self to the most important profession in the world Perfect. Jamie, any last words before we get out of here? No, just, you know, again, I feel like I've said this many times, but don't ever let anyone put you inside of a box. If, if you were, if you think that you're capable of doing something, don't be afraid to, to make goals and get, you know, aim towards that dream. There's a reason, there's a purpose for you to get there if that's what you really think you were meant to do. Perfect, perfect. I could have said it better myself. Uh, just some last um, housekeeping things. Um, big shout out to the American Higher Education Alliance. We'll be um, speaking there on how to develop relationships in education and higher education, adult education. That's in March, I believe March 11th. I'll get the exact date soon. But big, big shout out to the World Education Summit. I will be speaking there on March 24th. Um, and unfortunately, because COVID, I won't be in the UK, but we'll, we'll deal with it virtually um, that way. So I'm going to put that link up there, too, for all you educators. There's some big heavy hitters that are on there, DeWitt and, and all these uh, other guys that are on there. So I'm honored and blessed to be a part of that as well. Um, but, but be on the lookout for that. Um, again, shout out to the um, Innovative School Summit. Hopefully we get down in Atlanta once this thing is all cleared up and we'll hit up probably Vegas. We're looking at hopefully San Antonio, Orlando, all of those places. So shout out to them as well. 
Um, and shout out to all the educators. Like, I just want to give you a shout out uh, because of everything that you're going through. The work that you are doing is so, so important. You get up and go to work every single day, despite, you know, putting your life at risk literally every day with this COVID thing that's going around. So I just wanted to say that I appreciate the fact that you are, are in this profession and giving these people an opportunity and, 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 and hope. Because at the end of the day, somebody did that for you. And I'm glad that you are passing that on to somebody else. Um, the educational leaders out there as well. I feel your pain I'm in it with you. Um, it's not easy, but this is God's work. You, this is the gift that you have been given. So just lean into it, enjoy it, and then and, you know, and hopefully, you know, we're raising a generation that's going to be better than what we are are doing. So, um, Curtis, again, thank you so 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 much, and you know, we'll definitely keep in touch and, and promote the stuff that you're doing out there because it is important. Uh, shout out to Kareem. We'll get you next time, Mr. Petty Spence, but um, he's out there actually helping kids right now. So I can't even be complaining complain about him not being here. But as always, you can find us on the EmpowermentPerspective.com, YouTube, iTunes, all the you know social media platforms, yada, yada, yada. But until next time, stay empowered.